So we start a new series, Bless This Home. And how many of you have heard that phrase? This is, um, I heard the phrase, what makes a house a home? Y'all heard that? What makes a house a home? So you can actually Google that. So I did this week. And so the difference is a house is a, a little shelter, anywhere that you can shelter yourself. And uh, the difference between a house and a home is that not just shelter, but a place of comfort and of peace and that's life-giving. And so which perfectly describes what we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks is that we want to just move from having a house to a home, that we want to just not have a place that's just a shelter for a group of people to gather together, but we want to see God create in our community, in our own lives, a home. And the central thing of what makes it a home is that it's a home is Christ-centered, and it's built upon the foundation of Jesus, like I said just a little bit ago. And so what does that look like? And so over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 and following. And those are the scriptures are called the Beatitudes. And so Jesus began his ministry in, um, right before this. And so this is a teaching that he taught. And he taught not just this one time, but he taught continually over and over to his disciples. And so this was an opportunity at the beginning of Jesus' ministry for his disciples to gather around and for him to teach. And so the, for a home to be a Christ-centered home means that it's a home where people are followers of Jesus, followers of the way, and disciples of Jesus that are being taught by him and growing in that relationship with him. And so that's the, the general idea over the next few weeks of looking at these beatitudes, looking upon these commandments, actually, that Jesus has given us. So whenever you see this and it says, bless, you know, bless the such and such and such and such and such, and then it kind of gives you the reward of what the blessing is over the next few weeks. Those are not just statements of hope. Those are not just statements of, man, I wish. But these are actually exclamations, actually congratulations to you. So the very first one that we're going to be talking about today is bless those who are poor in spirit. So you're thinking, wow, how congratulations. I've been to the store and I've reached in my wallet and thought I had money and didn't and I couldn't pay. And in that moment, I recognized I was poor. No one was like, congratulations on being poor. All right. And so this is this upside down thinking that God gives us, that Jesus gives us in this teaching for what does it mean for us to have a home that's blessed by him? What does it look like to have a home that is Christ centered in, in so many ways it's living life upside down from what the world teaches. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. If you don't, it'll be up on the screen. If you don't want to look at the screen, there's a um, Bible there in front of you. So this is the first of the Gospels. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's the first one there. It's the first book of the New Testament. So here Jesus is beginning his teaching ministry. And uh, this is entitled, The Sermon on the Mount is, is the longer passage. It's the longest teaching of, teachings of Jesus Altogether, but here in this specific little section in Matthew chapter 5 through about 11 or 12 is considered the Beatitudes. And so in Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 1, it says this. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds growing, now you imagine this is the very first thing. Matthew chapter 4, he was baptized and he was right before that and he was sent out and he was tempted and so this whole thing and so now he's the beginning of his ministry and so now wherever rabbi jesus goes the crowds are already growing so that whenever they hear that they hear the little church bell ringing and they know that jesus is going to be preaching the crowds follow and they want to go be there and they want to be a part of this and so here's the beginning of his ministry and the crowds are already gathering and so this is the the authority with which he teaches and so he sees the crowds gathering and so then he goes up on a mountaintop 
Well, that would probably kick out half of us in this crowd because we're like, that means we got to go up a mountain. That looks like exercise and hiking. I'm out. I'll wait till he comes down from the mountainside and meet him at DQ or Las Fuentes or wherever he's going to be next. So here Jesus is moving. He goes up on top of the mountainside and then he sat down, which this is an interesting thing that most of the time we would just pass over this. Now, see, this book is the book of Matthew, which means it's written by the disciple Matthew. And Matthew wrote this book specifically to his Jewish audience. And so in writing to his Jewish audience, the key things that he was wanting to get across to his audience is one, is that Jesus was the Messiah that we've been looking for. The long-awaited Messiah, we have found him, and he is in the person of Jesus Christ. And then the second thing is, is that he is, we've also been waiting for a king. We've been waiting for a physical king to be king over Israel. So not only have we found the Messiah in the person of Jesus, but we've also found the king of kings in the person of Jesus. And so as he's talking to his Jewish audience, he's using verbiage, he's using words that they would understand and take in and go, ah, you're giving fuller meaning to these things that I've been waiting for. And so here's Jesus, the Messiah. Here's Jesus, the king of kings. Crowds are growing because they're anticipating that he might be the Messiah. They're anticipating he might be the the one that they can anoint king. And so people are gathering around. He begins to to teach, and he sat down. Now, in their world, to to sit down and to teach, one meant that he was a rabbi of great authority, that he was a teacher of great authority. And also for them, that also meant that he was the chair of the department. Have you ever... Universities and colleges still have this idea and concept that the history department has a chair, a lead person, that they have reached a place of teaching, they've reached a place of credentials, that they are the chair of that department. And so this is that idea, is that Jesus as the King of Kings, that Jesus as the Messiah, that Jesus as the chief rabbi now goes up to a place to teach and he sits down out of a place of authority, out of a place of wisdom to be able to teach and so whenever he sits down, the disciples, okay, the, the first 12 that he's called out by name, sit down with them. Now, interestingly enough, I mean, there's obviously there's crowds. That would mean that there's more than just 12. And so as Jesus goes from town to town and teaches, one, his disciples are with him. And so one of the main teachings of the day to be a student of the rabbi, wherever your rabbi would go, you would sit at the feet of your rabbi. And whatever he would walk, you wanted to be so close to your rabbi to your teacher as a student that as he kicked up dust going from one city to the other city to teach that his dust would kick back on your feet and that that you wanted to be able to say that listen the the dust from the feet of rabbi jesus is kicking up onto to my feet that i'm in such close proximity to him that i spend so much time with him that i study him to so astutely that wherever he goes whatever he says whatever he does i'm doing too because i'm mimicking him i'm i'm living life and talking like he does and so here we have Matthew talking to the, to the Jewish audience. He's saying, listen, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Messiah that we've been waiting for is now sitting down out of a place of authority. And as disciples, we're coming to sit at his feet so that he can kick up his dust on us, his teachings, his life. And so the 12 are there. But then also we understand that over the next few weeks, a few months, that there were actually more than just 12. There were probably 100 and 150 that were part of that outer crowd of disciples. So they were, they were coming. And then also with the larger crowds, that there were probably more hundreds that are sitting and listening. So there's this circle that's continuing to grow. And so Jesus is teaching the 12, but the other people get to get to be there and to listen in onto the lessons of Jesus. And so his disciples came to him and began to teach them. 
Now, this idea of teach isn't just a one-time teach, but it's a teach that happened in this moment but continued on. So that wherever Jesus went, he taught this lesson one time, but he also continued to teach it. And that's the beautiful thing because, listen, most of us, we don't need to hear a lesson just once. We need to hear it twice, three times, four times. If you've had kids, you know it's seven times, 12 times. You probably need to help take him by the hand and show him how to do it. You know what I mean? All those different things. And so Jesus is the same way. He was walking with his disciples and continually, time after time after time, he's teaching them. As a matter of fact, a little bit later on in Matthew, he actually says, hey, all of these lessons I've taught you, take them and go put them in practice and then come back in a few days and let's talk about it. And so there here Jesus is, he's saying, I'm teaching you from a place of authority. I want you to sit and to listen. And then at some point, we're going to be carrying these things out. And the same is true for us. It's time after time that we open up his word. Jesus teaches us time after time after time. How many times have you been in church long enough that you've opened up a passage and you're reading it and you're like, oh, I've never seen that before. Have you ever had that moment? That's Jesus going, yeah, I've said it a thousand times. This is a thousand and one. And finally, you got it. All right, And so it's this teaching over and over and over again. Here they are sitting at the feet of the rabbi and they're taking in what he's going to be teaching them. And then he begins to teach them in the Beatitudes. These Beatitudes are exclamations of congratulations, of congratulations because you've said yes to Jesus, because you've entered into a relationship. These are characteristics of who you are. Even if you don't even realize it yet, even if you don't fully understand it yet, because you are a follower of Jesus, these are the characteristics of who you are now for the rest of our life as followers of Jesus and trying to understand what it means to follow. We're working these things out. That's why we continually need to be taught, because we're working them out and understanding and identifying who we are. And so even as with kids, you tell your kids, hey, you're smart, hey, you're whatever. So many times they don't understand it, and it takes a long time for them to grow into who they are, their identity. And even as adults, sometimes we're still growing into and understanding, hey, listen, I'm an introverted person, I don't like parties, or I'm an extroverted person, I am the party. You know what I mean? You kinda, you're learning and growing who you are, and as you become and understand who you are, there's freedom in knowing who you are. And so in that freedom of knowing who you are, here Christ is saying, listen, there's freedom for you as you get the characteristics of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. There's freedom to live out who you are and what you're called to be as a disciple of Jesus. So look at verse 3. Blessed. Some versions actually say happy, but the best interpretation is blessed because happy is... The actual root word of happiness means that chance is a part of that. And so there's nothing about chance, there's nothing about circumstances that, that, about being blessed. And so here Jesus is saying, listen, you are blessed. That is, your blessing is not based upon your circumstances. Your blessing is not based upon your, your Facebook status. Your blessing is not based upon whatever. Your blessing is based upon the fact that you have a relationship with him. That is your status. That's the characteristic of who you are. You are blessed. And what that means is life situations can't tear you down, can't stop you from being who you are in Christ. Blessed are. As a matter of fact, there was a, the island of Cyprus, and it was called the Blessed Island. The reason that the island of Cyprus was called the Blessed Island, because when you got on the Blessed Island, you didn't want to come off. Any of you ever been on vacation to an island, and you've been there, and you're like, man, LaGrange sounds so much better, Right? 
No, you're like, man, this is awesome. They got coconuts, they got pineapples, they got hula skirts, they got whatever. They got all I need right here. I do not need to go anywhere else. And so that's exactly what Jesus is saying in this moment. Listen, you are blessed. You have everything you need. You are an island unto me. I have provided everything you need. There's Your circumstances aren't going to change the fact that you are blessed. This is it. You need nothing else in life if you have Christ, which is an interesting concept for us. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, all of us are excited about being poor, right? How many of y'all want to be poor? One guy. All right? And he hasn't even had a job yet, so he is poor. Okay? Poor. You can't afford nothing. You don't have anything to your name. You don't have an abundance enough to have influence. You can't buy anything. You can't persuade someone. You can't influence to do something. You are that poor. Listen, as I was thinking about this, what does it mean to be poor? Most of us don't understand that concept. And so I was trying to like, God, help me understand what does it mean to be poor. And I was taken back to a moment when I was about 16 years old. It was a moment when I understood at my home in that short season that we were poor. I had a little brother. I have a little brother who's a lot younger than myself. And so I'm 16. He was going into kindergarten. And so there's quite a bit of age difference and age gap. And um, due to family situation and family life, we were kind of, we were struggling in this moment to make things meet. And so I remember the moment that my my brother who was in kindergarten at the time, we, he'd gotten his new shoes, you know, that thing whenever life happens and you get new shoes when you go into school. And so he'd gotten those new shoes and we were dressed and he was <clears throat> getting dressed and He'd gone out, it was a Sunday night, it was after church or something, he'd gone out and he'd played. And, and as a good kid, I mean, you're taught, hey, if your shoes are dirty, you bring them in, and you don't bring them into the house, you leave them on the back porch, right? You know that. And so this might have been the one time that he actually obeyed and did that. And so he did it, and he put it on the back porch. And um, So the very next morning, we get up and we're going to school, we're trying to get everything together. And I remember the moment, as vivid today as it was however many years ago, and I can hear the glass door opening, the and then the you know of the little the other door. Y'all heard that song, that noise, and I can hear it, and I can hear my brother just going, "Oh no, where's my shoes?" And so my mom, you know, in that moment's like, "What do you mean, where's your shoes? We've got to go to school and that whole thing." And so being the big brother I was, I was like, "Hey, let's go find them." We look and we walk around and we're looking. And there was one shoe. We found one shoe that had gone and. Um, we lived out in the country, and so after a few minutes, I'm like, dude, they're gone. You have, we found one shoe, but one shoe is gone. And remember my mom going to finish to get ready and closing the doors and hearing the tears. Literally the wailing and knowing in that moment that I'm poor. That I don't have two nickels to rub together. And that literally that like my parents are like, Man, I don't we don't how are we gonna do this? You know, I'm about to go to school, I've got an image, I've got all this different stuff, and I'm thinking, Man, I am whatever. 
And in that moment, realizing that this is the good news of Jesus Christ. Is that there was no way that anyone that is truly poor and broke can influence the King of Kings to earn their way into heaven. That what God is saying in this moment is, blessed are the broke, the people that actually realize that you have nothing, that you can afford nothing, that you can influence nothing, you can persuade. There's no way that you can bring anything of worth and value to put before the King of Kings that would allow you to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And so that for us that have said yes to Jesus, there has been a moment where we realize that there is nothing in us, nothing that we have, nothing that we can bring that can bring us to the place of like, listen, God, this is what I've got for you to enhance my opportunities to have an eternity with you. And he's saying, it's rubbish. You've only got one shoe, you need two. And how many of us Walk around with one shoe trying to convince ourselves that we've got two and we think that we're followers of Jesus and Jesus is saying, you have not been broke enough. And that our neighbors and our friends and our classmates are walking with a limp because they've got one shoe on and one shoe off and we're, we pretend with them that they know Jesus and they don't. And we're too afraid. The people that we should be sharing our faith with are the ones that we're too afraid to share. Blessed are the poor in spirit. We are broke people. And that's why Jesus says, listen, it's harder for the person, the camel, to get to the eye of the needle than for a rich person to get into the kingdom of heaven because when in our wealth we are comfortable and we think it's convenient and somewhere we've bought into the lie that we can earn our way, we can pay our way, we can do something to influence God to be on his team. That if we do something to earn the sponsorship in, in heaven, that we can have our own little little seats. And he's like, listen, that is not enough. You have to be broke beyond broke to recognize that you can bring nothing to this. Blessed are happy Beyond happy are those that are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. That's the good news, is nobody can reach a social status. Nobody can reach wealth. Nobody can do anything. It's totally on us saying, God, what you did through the cross covers me. In my brokenness, I accept this gift. A gift, obviously, that we cannot repay. So how is a home blessed? What does it mean for these homes to be blessed? The first thing I want you to get is this. A blessed home requires Jesus as its foundation. I've said it several times. As Jesus finished up this teaching in Matthew chapter 7, he said this, Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who's built his house on the rock. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on rock. Listen, life is going to happen. Just because you say yes to Jesus doesn't mean everything's going to be clean and nice and neat. But the difference is, is that a house that is built upon the foundation of Jesus can not only survive when life happens, but it can thrive. Now, there may be times where you need to do some updates and the house has obviously been weather-beating and changed and you need to do some things, but a house that's built upon the foundation of Christ can get through those things of life because we have a hope 
there's something more. We can walk through some of these things. And so the f- different things in life that you're going through, that you're struggling with, through, if your life is built upon the foundation of Christ, you can not only survive it, but you can thrive through it and move through it because your foundation is built on Christ. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who's built his house on sand. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. Not just a Christian home, but a Christ-centered home that's pursuing Jesus. The second thing is that a blessed home requires transformable hearts. Requires a heart that's transformable. That there's going to come times as a husband that I have to say sorry to my wife and explain why I'm sorry. There's going to be moments where I have to go to my kids and say, hey, listen, I'm sorry. I'm sorry what I said or sorry what I did or the things that... And so that, 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 that requires a transformable heart to realize that, that I'm human, that I'm not perfect, that, and, and I'm in transition, that Jesus is teaching me today. He's going to teach me tomorrow, and we're constantly moving in this, in this deal. And so in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, Paul says it like this. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. That literally like Play-Doh, that our hearts are conformed to the image of the world. And so that sometimes that our hearts are so conformed by the image of the world that we look and act and think and talk and, and are more like the world. And what it says on the other end of that, do not conform any longer to the world, but be transformed from the inside out, from the teaching, from the truth applied, that you may be transformed like a butterfly, that you may something ugly, may something beautiful come from something ugly. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. God transforms and molds and shapes our hearts. And we're constantly growing and moving and changing as followers of Jesus that we've never arrived. We're constantly moving, but because we have a solid foundation that doesn't shake, we have confidence that we can take steps forward. Finally, a blessed home requires a joyful attitude. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, it says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. The foundation of life in Christ Jesus allows us to rejoice always. It allows us to pray and to seek. It allows us to give thanks. Even though we're in the midst of a storm, we can give thanks because we're house is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ. And that that's our foundation. And to know that not only are we going to survive this, but we're going to move through it and we're going to survive and thrive because of it. So my question for us this morning is, is your house, is your house a home where you know that you know that you know that everyone in your house is a disciple of Jesus? Is your heart transformable? Is your heart still transformable? Are you allowing God to continue to speak? Do you understand that God's continuing to work on you and transform you in those things that that you're seeing that you need to change? That's the Spirit of God speaking to you. And then what circumstances and issues in your life are you allowing to steal joy from you? What issues and circumstances in life are you allowing to steal joy from you? Because if your life is built on the foundation of Christ, those things that are coming, they're going to come. They're going to happen. But to realize that if you build your house on that foundation, that there's protection, there's shelter, and that even those those things come, you can not only survive but thrive. And so many times, whatever the storms come, even though our house is built on that foundation, we go in 
we go into um, to defense mode and we begin to deny that, that there's a storm happening. We begin to, to minimize the storm and maybe a Category 5 hurricane and we, everybody asks how we're doing and we minimize it and say, oh, it's just a little storm or begin to blame other people or rationalize or whatever or we don't even go to defense, we go to medication. And so instead of defensive mode, we begin to medicate and so we get involved in alcohol, we get involved in drugs, we get involved in TV, we get involved in porn, we get involved in all these different things to, to medicate ourselves that even though we have this here, we, we don't want to really deal with it. And so we don't want to deal with it, so we medicate and we try to push off instead of really dealing with the fact, listen, I'm in a storm. Life happens. I'm tired. I'm, I don't have enough money. I don't have whatever it is. And say, listen, but because... My foundation is in Christ. Because this house is built for this, I can survive this and move forward through it. Be authentic. Quit pretending that you don't have life happening. Instead of asking why, God, say, what, God, what are you going to do through this? How can we get stronger through this? Does everyone know Jesus? Is everyone's hearts being transformed by Jesus? And what am I allowing to steal my joy? Because I want to live in a house that is blessed. That understands and knows that there's nothing less. There's nothing better than a home where people can gather. And they know that they're loved because of who we are in Christ. Let's pray together. Dear Holy Father, I thank you so much. for the good news of Jesus Christ. So, Father, I pray if there's anyone in this room this morning that does not know you, that they would say yes to you. This morning, if there's anyone in this room that needs to know Jesus, would you just, for a moment, just put that on your connection card at, at some point, the card that came in, and, and just let us know, I want to I meet with you and talk with you. What does that mean? What does that look like? Some of you are saying, hey, listen, I, we, we're Christians, we come to church, but I don't think my home is built on nothing less than Jesus. Put that on your connection card. We want to meet with you the next coming week or two and just talk about how can we help you. That's our goal here. Father, I just pray for every person, every home in this place. Father, no matter where they're at right now, that they would say, today is the day that my house, this house, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Because it is a house that's built upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. And that, Father, that the storms of life will come, but we will not only survive them, but we will thrive through them because of you. And that, Father, I will not allow my joy to be stolen because of the storms, but I will look them face stand in the face of those storms and say thank you that they're coming and thank you that this foundation will not move. And that my security in you is firm. It will not waver, it will not shake, but not because of me, but because of the one I worship. He will not move. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And in this storm today, He is here with me in it. May He be brought glory and honor in the midst of the storm. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.